Well, good evening. It's good to see you this evening. So thankful for everyone in the assembly this evening. We've got another good crowd. Thank you for those who are visiting. Uh, It's difficult for me, I'm going to be real honest with you, to sing some of the songs that we've sung tonight and not get a little emotional. When we start thinking about uh, Jesus coming from heaven and coming to die for us, how wonderful. What a wonderful song service. Thank you so much for that. He is worthy. We're not. This evening, if you are visiting from the community, we want to welcome you. Thank you for being here and invite you to come back at every opportunity you have. The meeting will go through Sunday, uh, Sunday evening, so we want you to feel uh, welcome and to come and to worship with us. This evening, we're going to be studying a little bit about grieving the Holy Spirit. That topic may uh, be new to you. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. Uh, Over the years, I've read over that passage, and we're going to read it in a moment. And we read it in passing, but there is a command that is given to us. And it's not to grieve the Holy Spirit. A lot of times when we talk about the Holy Spirit, a lot of people become fearful. And there's a reason for that too, I believe. People have always gone to extremes, it seems like, on just about any topic that you give them. We can also go extremes to avoidance, if you will. We can't afford to avoid what the Scripture gives us, even though it may be fearful for us because of the other extreme where people uh, carry it and become teaching a false doctrine about the working of the Holy Spirit. I hope this study this evening will give you some enlightenment of how God feels about us and how He desires us and loves us. And then our response, if you will, to that call and to that love that He gives us. Let's read our text. It's found in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Beginning with verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed into the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I want to share with you 
some facts about the Holy Spirit so that we can better understand this command that God has given us. And let's not be like the little boy that I heard about when uh, he said he didn't want to go to church. And his daddy and mom asked him, why don't, why don't you want to go to church? You know we go to church. He said, I'm afraid of the Holy Ghost. We don't need to be that way. I'll tell you the only thing to fear about the Holy Spirit is Him not working in your life. And the power of God not working in your life. That's really the only thing to fear. Some facts about the Holy Spirit is when God did something big. Every time He did something big, He did it by His Holy Spirit. Look at the creation in Genesis 1 verse 2. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. We see even in the very beginning of time that God through his Holy Spirit moving upon the waters and and creation is born. We see the Holy Spirit in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Of him coming and being born of woman. Luke 1 verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. We see the Holy Spirit active in the incarnation of our Savior. Everything that God did that was big... He does by his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit being the power of God. Notice on the crucifixion of our Savior in Hebrews 9 verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Yes, indeed, even in the crucifixion, the Holy Spirit of God was active. And it was through the Holy Spirit of God that God created the earth, that Jesus came and was born of woman, and that Jesus was crucified. We see the Holy Spirit active in the resurrection of our Savior. Romans 8 and 11. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Now, I said the only thing to fear about, not, about the Holy Spirit was not having Him. Because you and I want to ha- be in this resurrection of our mortal bodies. And the Holy Spirit will be active in that. And He will quicken our mortal bodies or to be made alive. I believe that resurrection occurs even before the second coming of Christ. I believe that we're made alive through the Spirit of God to live a sanctified life through Jesus Christ. And our life and our uh, movement in this life is one of growing in purity and holiness and becoming more and more like Christ. And according to Romans 8 and 11, you and I are doing that through the Holy Spirit of God. Everything that God does that is big, He does it through His Holy Spirit. Notice the Spirit being active in the spread of the church in Acts 2 verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. In the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. 
Verse 38 says, as if you know, when the commandment came to these, uh, these Jews on Pentecost and all of those people there, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is unto you, your children, to them that are far off, as be, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Everything that God does that's big, he does through his Holy Spirit. He did in our salvation, in the incarnation of Jesus, in the crucifixion of Christ, in the resurrection, and us being made and quickened and being made alive to God through the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is not a thing. He has a mind, according to the Scripture. And this is an interesting concept for us because... Our extremism many times and our fear is to fail to recognize the Holy Spirit of God as a person with a mind. Notice Romans 8 verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So we see the Holy Spirit active in our life. And the fact that he helps with our infirmities. And that he uh, prays for us. That he has a mind. And we should strive to learn his mind. But further... This interesting fact about the Holy Spirit, which is also an interesting fact about God, is that he has emotion. Now, you and I are emotional creatures. We know what it, like, what, what it feels like to be sad. We know what it feels like to be happy. And sometimes our emotion dictates our life. But did you know and did you, have you considered the fact that the Holy Spirit of God also has emotion? We read in the scripture, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed into the day of redemption. Yes, indeed, God can be grieved. The Spirit of God can be grieved. When we think about grief, we generally go back to the times that were saddest in our life. I've experienced grief many times in my life, and you have too. Sometimes we grieve over things we shouldn't. The Holy Spirit doesn't. He grieves over what he should. Let's define grief so we can understand better what it means not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The word grief is from the Greek word lupeo, and it means to distress, to be sad, to grieve, to be in heaviness, to be sorrowful, or to make sorry. That being said, let's never reduce the Holy Spirit to a principle. And that is one of our biggest dangers, I believe, in not understanding the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Bible is filled with principles. I believe that the, the teachings of Jesus are timeless principles. 
I believe the New Testament for us today in this dispensation in which we live give us timeless principles. The things that were taught 2,000 years ago are applicable today to you and me. What Jesus taught and how, what he said to those de- people in those days, we find principles that are applied to us today. Take, for instance, Jesus was always speaking to someone. A lot of times, people, when they start talking about principles, they start saying, well, he was talking to the Jews. Jesus, on one occasion, he said, go and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. And he quotes that same passage again that is found in the book of Hosea, the sixth chapter. When he says, if you had known what this meant, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Somebody says, well, that's, he was speaking to the Jews. Yes, indeed he was. But he was also teaching a principle. And these principles are what we understand and what we apply to our life. However, the Holy Spirit is much more than a principle. He is a person. He can be grieved. A principle cannot be grieved. A principle can be broken. It can be shattered. But it cannot be grieved. Sadness is created always by loss. Now I told you I've experienced a lot of grief in my life. And, and not nearly as much as some. But I lost my dad in when I was a young man, the day that he died, he died suddenly and my wife came to where I was working and uh, when she told me my dad was dead, the first thing that popped through my mind is I don't know how I'm going to make it. You know why that came to me? It's because I had a loss. Now, other people, other people that knew my dad, they came to the funeral home. They expressed sympathy toward me and toward my sisters and toward my mother. But they did not experience the same grief that I did. And the reason why is because they did not experience the same loss. The measure of our sadness then is generally proportional to the measure of our loss. So when God says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, then there must be a loss that's involved. That God experiences. The Holy Spirit loves, you see. For if he is the mind of God and he is the power of God, then he can't help but love. And when love loses, love always grieves. A few years later, it wasn't but four years later, I lost my brother-in-law to an automobile accident. He was an elder in the church at home. Honestly, think that I grieved more with him than I did my own dad. 
And the reason why is because not because I loved him anymore, but because the loss was in a different form and even greater in some respects. My dad was older. This man was young. This man was an elder in the church. Now we were without elders. The loss in their congregation was huge. But love drives it all. I appreciate so much the people that came to the funeral home with my brother-in-law and my dad. But I know that they did not love them the way that I loved them. And I have since learned to appreciate the grief that other people go through and experience. I understand it because I understand the loss. Not that I'm experiencing the same loss they are, but I understand it better. Before I experienced the loss of my brother-in-law and my dad, and then later my sister, and then my brother and my mother, before I would go to the funeral home, I would go up to them and say, I'm sorry for your loss. Now I go to the funeral home and say, I understand your loss. And then I can weep with them that weep because I have an understanding. And I have an appreciation of that loss. The Holy Spirit loves. Those who do not love do not experience grief. Those who do not lose suffer a loss, do not experience grief. Let's understand then these facts about the Holy Spirit of God, which in turn we understand about God himself. Is that he loves, that he suffers loss. Therefore he grieves. Genesis 6 and 6 says, It repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. What did he lose? You know, don't you? Of course you do. Why did it grieve him? He lost. He had a loss. He had a loss of a relationship. Man had turned from him and walked away from him, and God grieved. Sometimes you and I in our losses, with other people especially, but never seemingly as much with our own loss, but with other people, we would grow apathetic. I want to tell you, God is not apathetic. Genesis 6 and 3 says, The Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. The word strive here doesn't mean quarrel nearly as much as it means struggle with. God grieves, but he's not going to continually struggle with you. And this relationship that he so desperately wants with us, that the Holy Spirit is the power of this relationship, that through the giving of Jesus Christ, though he wants that and he strives with it and he struggles with it, he's not going to always struggle with it. You understand? 
James 1 and 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Our dilemma is this, is we change all the time. Now, there's certain things about us don't change. I still don't feel 63 years old. (laughs) My mind has not grown at the same pace my body has. But when I get out trying to do some things physically that I'm not able to do, like throw a football or run with some kids, I realize, oh, I'm 63 years old. That change you and I could accept. However, understand with the principles of God and with His character and with Him being loving, grieving, He doesn't change. God never changes. There is neither no variableness, neither shadow of turning. But the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Our grief is often fostered by the loss of things that uh, we lose, obviously. And I've, all, I've already told you about one. And we all understand the loss of, of uh, our family and our loved ones. We can appreciate that grief. Uh, but let me ask you tonight, what really brings you grief? Some people, it's a ball game. Now, you, th- you think I'm exaggerating on that. You do. Who in the world would grieve over a ball game? I knew a man that locked himself in his house. Honest to goodness, I'm telling you the truth. He locked himself in his house for a week and grieved because his boy lost a ball game. What about money? Well, I can kind of understand that. Now you're talking my language. I can, get, I can appreciate that better than I can a ball game. Have you ever lost a lot of money? Well, so I never had a lot of money to lose. Well, you didn't grieve over it. <laughs> but if you've ever lost money, there's a certain amount of grief there. What about a job? You can understand that and appreciate that. And then, of course, the death of the saints. You and I grieve over all of these things, whether we want to admit it or not. This loss is caused by that. Revelation fourteen thirteen to give you an insight that God is not grieving over the same things we grieve over, even the loss of our loved ones. I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Well, blessed means happy. They're in a good condition. God obviously sees the death of a loved one, especially if they're a Christian. And I've talked to you about my family, and you can talk, think about your family. But if you lose your family and they're Christians, God doesn't grieve over that. He says that they're blessed. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them. You and I understand that death is an enemy to God, but God sees much more than we see. And the simple act of dying, and I say simple act of dying, it's not pleasant for any of us, but it's not grief for God. It's an enemy to Him. Paul says it's an enemy in 1 Corinthians 15. He says it's the last enemy. God's going to do away with it. Yes, indeed. But that's not what causes Him grief because there's no loss there. Not for those who are Christians. There's a gain. 
Paul said that for him to die was, for him to live was Christ and to die is gain. So when we talk about grieving the Holy Spirit and the loss that God experiences, it's not the same as us. But it is the same too. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 116, 15. See, we strive for those things which are temporary. For a moment's pleasure only to find eternal grief. The loss of our soul. What grieves the Holy Spirit? Let's look at a few things. We find them in our text. Ephesians 4 verse 25, wherefore put away lying. See, this is not nearly as complicated as you thought. (laughs) You thought this was going to be a complicated study. It's not. We just don't want to believe it. Wherefore put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. You realize this is in the passage that we read. This is in the context of grieving the Holy Spirit. Do you find it interesting that uh, a lie is one of the first things that's mentioned in this context? Remember now, the measure of grief is proportional to the measure of loss. How did God lose that relationship with Adam and Eve? Henceforth sin coming into the world and thereby us, you and I, losing our relationship with God. How did he do it? With a lie. It was by a lie that man lost his place from the perfect fellowship of God. Got a picture there, man, woman. For the sake of the illustration tonight, let's imagine that's Adam and Eve. It's not. <laughs> let's imagine that anyway. They're walking through the woods. This is after the fall. And they're walking through the woods. They come upon something. They come upon an apple tree. Now let's imagine for the sake of our illustration that the apple was indeed the fruit that Adam and Eve ate. We don't know it was, but let's say it was for the sake of illustration. And Adam and Eve comes up in this meadow and there's this apple tree. And it's just been a few years. And they were in the Garden of Eden and they were in fellowship with God. And now they see this apple tree. And this apple tree reminds them of their loss. I wonder how many times that fruit had been seen by Adam and Eve. And then that reminder of that loss that they experienced. I wonder. And then you and I, we see things in our life that remind us of our relationship that we had with God. We do. We see people. And it brings to our memory and our, our, our mind, and, and we re, we're reminded of the loss that we have experienced. A lie grieves God. And a lie grieves God because it is a constant reminder of the loss that he experienced of the relationship. Also, anger born of selfishness. According to our passage, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Genesis 4 and 5 says, But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? 
But if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. I remind you that the first murder was a religious discussion gone wrong. And I remind you that it was born out of anger that was born out of selfishness and pride. And these things God grieves at. Embracing lies, living emotionally outside the influence of the Holy Spirit grieves him. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So God reminds us of this loss that he has experienced through lies and anger born out of selfishness. And he says, don't do this. This grieves me. Also, he said, giving place to the devil. You know what giving place to the devil means? It literally means giving him a landing. I can't help but think of the time when I was on an airplane over the Pacific Ocean coming home from Japan. And they woke me up. I was asleep. And they woke me up and said, we've lost an engine. It was in the middle of the night. It was as black as could be, but I started looking outside that window wanting a landing spot. Give me a landing spot. If we give a place for the devil, that grieves God. And it's foolish to think that we can give place to vain imaginations, images, Give place to things like worship of ancestry and not grieve the Holy Spirit. The scripture also teaches us that we're not to steal, but we're to make our living honestly. And there's a reason for that. Let him that stole steal no more, but let him labor, working with his hands at the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now, we all appreciate a good, hard-working fella. (laughs) I was taught that from a very early age. What we don't appreciate is the second part of that passage. So that we may give to him that needeth. Boy, that turns servitude all the way around, don't it? I'm not supposed to work to heap up pleasures to myself. That grieves God just as much as stealing for a living. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You see, if I'm going to please God and I'm not going to grieve His Holy Spirit, the things that I'm going to speak to you should be things that are going to build you up and edify you, not to make yourself feel good, but that you can be more like Christ. That you can serve Him. But that which is good to the use of edifying. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, verse 30 says, in the continuation of this, whereby you're sealed into the day of redemption. Grieving the Holy Spirit comes with some consequences. I'd like to name a few in closing. And if a person continues in these things, they continue to to grieve God to the point, eventually, he says, my spirit's not going to always strive with man. 
There comes a day that God says, if you're going to live that way, you're just going to have to live that way. Consequences are spiritual blindness. It's incredible to see someone walk down these paths of dishonesty, of anger born of selfishness, of pride that will work to build up their own lives rather than to help other people that are truly in need. It's amazing the spiritual blindness that comes from it. Also, the seared conscience and the self-disgrace. A person's living this way that's grieving God and grieving His Holy Spirit is living in self-disgrace. And then he becomes a stumbling block to others. There's probably many more consequences that come from living a lifestyle of grieving the Holy Spirit. And no wonder Paul says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Because it's detrimental to us. And it takes us down a path that we don't want to go. It is by His Holy Spirit, brethren, that we are fashioned into people like Jesus. That's our goal, isn't it? Not what you want. That's what I want. I feel like I'm a long way from that. But I know that God is ever striving and ever working with me. And He's ever patient. And He's ever loving. I know that because He has emotion. And if he can be grieved, then he could experience loss. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. You know, we, uh, we talk a lot about Luke 15 and the parables that are given there. There are three parables that are parables of lostness. The parable of the lost sheep who left the ninety and nine. And this lost sheep, through his own aimless wanderings, he strays away from the hundred. He's not where he should be. Now, he's there because he is pretty ignorant, to be honest with you. And the sheep's not the smartest creature in the world. But they wander. And God gives us this picture of an aimless wanderer. Curious. Ever looking. I think of people that are probably in this building this evening. That through your aimless wandering, you have wandered away from where you need to be. In your relationship with God. The second parable is a parable of a woman... Who loses a coin. Parables of lostness. This woman lost this coin. How did she lose it? Now the coin doesn't have a mind. It's not represented as having a mind in this. Didn't have anything to do with the lostness. She lost the coin through her own neglect. It didn't change the value of the coin. Not one iota. It just took it out of circulation. And I believe, brethren, that this parable is a picture for us of the church that you and I should be so in tune with our brethren that we never lose a single soul because of neglect. 
And that coin that is lost is still just as valuable as the one that's sitting in her purse. In this parable, this woman gathers and she sweeps. You think she's mourning and grieving over the loss of this coin? I think so. Do you think the shepherd grieves over the loss of his one sheep? I think so. Yeah. There's a grief there. What? Why? Why? Because of the loss. Because this relationship has been broken. Then we come to the parable of the lost boy. That's our favorite. We all want to think of ourselves as the elder son in the story. Stayed at home, Father. I've been faithful to you. But this prodigal son... The boy who went and wasted his goods with riotous living, he walks away by his own volition. In this story, of course, God represents the father. Do you think the father had grief? There's fathers here tonight that can join with me in knowing what that experience is like. And until we can see God as a grieving father, mourning the loss of his child, we miss the picture of God. The prodigal, as you know, he comes to himself, which is the opposite of being beside yourself. Sin will drive you crazy. It'll drive you nuts, so. But then when you come to yourself and you decide to come home, there's a big change that takes place in this boy. And this is the change that has to take place with every one of us. He said, while he was in that pig pen, he said, I will rise and I'll go to my father. And I'll say, Father, make me as one of thy hired servants. You know what he said when he left? Do you remember the statements? Father, give me. Of my inheritance. Give me, give me, give me. And when he comes back, he says, make me, make me, make me. Now, why have I told you all this? Because until we're in the relationship with God, the Holy Spirit cannot make us and develop us. And we're no more than a wandering prodigal or a lost sheep or a lost coin. But when the, father, when the son comes back to his father and we see the picture of a loving father standing there waiting day after day after day, grieving over the loss of his child, and then he sees the boy from a great distance, and the Bible says that he goes and he runs and he falls upon him and he hugs him and he kisses him. I see God that way. I think Jesus wants us to see God that way. And the boy says to him what he said he would say to him. Father, make me as one of thy hired servants. I'm not worthy to be called one of your sons. But that's not the case. He went and put a ring on his finger. You know what a ring? <laughs> that ring was a seal. You're my, you're my child. Put shoes on his feet. That was a, and a robe on his back. That's royalty. Now the relationship is back intact. It's where it should be. 
And now God can make him a son. And the father no longer grieves. But then there's rejoicing in the house. Rejoicing. And we see the emotion of God once again, don't we? And the idea that God can grieve over this lost relationship that he has with you says to us also that he could rejoice in a unified relationship with you. And now he can make you into what you should be. And he does that through his Holy Spirit according to the passages found in Romans 8. Romans 8, 13 for if we live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you live through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We find that the Holy Spirit is a down payment of heaven. If, it, if you will, it's that seal, that ring, that's, and the shoes, and the robe. It's all those things that says, you're my child. Second Corinthians 1.22 Hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. You see, brethren, our lifestyle should be one to value this relationship. It's a relationship like none other. If you're out of relationship with God this evening, God grieves for you. And he's looking for you. Won't you come home as we stand and sing?